0: Yo, vulnerability is powerful, really, my G. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh the most gangster thing anybody could do, me, you, y'all, is serve. We like to ground ourselves in that, remind us of that as we start
1: the all the way live podcast. Yeah, we got to, bro. We got to do that because this space is intentional. And like my brother said, this is indeed the All The Way Live podcast with me and Miles come to you quite literally live for some carefully curated content for your cranium. What we do is we take information, we synthesize it over the week, we dedicate ourselves, and then we put it on this year's space Of positivity, a space of gratitude, just so we can come and speak to the people that love us and the people that we love, just to be, even if for a moment, a place of escape, a place of positivity. Man, if we do this stuff on a weekly basis, Mister Moz Xavier, we do this weekly.
0: Yep, yep, for y'all and for us, mostly for y'all, man. You know what I'm saying? This is for everybody that is what on a drive in the office. This is for everybody that's just waking up, getting ready, that needed somebody, something to listen to, you know what I'm saying, to give them that real talk. we here for you. SoundCloud, Spotify, mm-hmm. YouTube, wherever you're catching us. We appreciate y'all, for real. And what y'all need to know is that Chicago is in the building, Joe mm-hmm. Berg is in the building, Right. You see my boy over there. Just, 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 and every time, you know what I'm saying? Every time he gives me something to, to let y'all know that Johannesburg is really in the building. You see that the carefully curated clothing over there, the threads is for real, the side, a shirt, I'm messing with it. I'm messing with it. I appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? Always repping for fashion, that side and flyness that side. But on this side, you know, what's going on, man. The podcast is recorded on stolen land, right? We recording in Chicago this land was cared for by the Potawatomi people, the indigenous people that cared for this land before it was violently taken from them by white folks, colonialism, right? And we have to acknowledge that history, not only because the violence that is, that was done to them, continues to be done to them, is inseparable from the violence that we see in this city, this country, and this world today, but also because it's indigenous people today, today, tomorrow, whenever y'all I do do not know that it's tomorrow, it's Monday, right? So, matter of fact, hold on, man, we can't even, hold on, matter of fact, run that back. It's Indigenous Peoples Day. You know what I'm saying? You gotta drop the air horns in there for that. You know, that's 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 what's up, man. So, yeah, make sure that you take a moment to reflect on that history of that culture, because that culture is everywhere. That's not just a United States thing. We've seen that that's a Canada thing. We've seen that Indigenous people all over the world have been violently removed from their spaces. So that's what the day is about, a moment to reflect on that right there. And with that, we lift up love for Indigenous people the world over. We lift up love for Black and brown people the world over. Like that, the intro's over, and we into the
1: show. Hey, man, whether well it's one one person, 10 people, 10,000 people, 10 million people, it don't matter to us. Absolutely, everybody is welcome here into the space. We welcome you with open arms, grab what you want to drink, roll up what you need to roll up, come through, sit down, and let's break down what I believe to be a very carefully curated show of some hot, hot, hot topics. We're covering everything from Tesla, Facebook, to Dave Chappelle. Y'all are in for a treat with this. And more importantly, Brother Miles, what I was saving before we got onto this call is how fortunate. I feel to be able to do this with you do you understand that however busy our week is however difficult our week is and no matter what we have to do we have an opportunity to stay here and speak with literally one of my favorite people to be able to speak to and I feel like that translate in the value of this content for sure
0: yeah that's a big part of it right <clears throat> not only the I I feel like the authenticity of our personal relationship bleeds through, right? Like the fact that you are for real my homie, even though that we are, that is always communicated over distance. I feel like the fact that over the podcast, over the airwaves, because that's how we have to communicate, I would hope that that translates even more so. And it's also a beautiful thing to be able to like bring, as we say in the intro, like that different perspective of of Johannesburg, of Cape Town, of Africa. Mm -hmm. and Chicago of the United States and blackness, and to kind of bring that together. And I'm, I feel blessed for your perspective, with that in mind, and and with everything else in mind, just of the the person you are, regardless of that, the person you are becoming, your entrepreneurial spirit. Like, yeah, it's truly a blessing to be in conversation with you, and uh it's also a blessing to me. It feels like to just kind of show off, like as like this is my homie. This is the type of they say you are who you keep around you, and if and there's there's mm-hmm. something I, I if nothing else i always feel good about myself when you're when i'm when when i'm in your company and and that is on display that this is the type of person that uh sharpens iron as man does with each other
1: and that's the saying that you put me up on that I really appreciate. Man sharpens man as iron sharpens iron. I think that's super, super dope. You know what I'm saying? But look, at the end of the day, Mr. Miles Xavier, the main reason that we come in over here is to talk to these people about some things that they want us to talk about. And one of those things that got us heated and up in, and had our, our hands up in our arms <laughs> is the fact that Tesla is handing out so much money to people uh, Tesla had to pay $137 million, brother, to a uh, former employee because they were compla- uh for uh, racial, racial accusations. I don't know about you, but immediately after I saw this, bro, I ran every racial encounter that I've ever had for anywhere that I worked at <laughs> to see if I could run the same finesse. Hey, y'all, come look at this. The same,
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah man it, it, it's quite a finesse right 137 million dollars i think it's natural as any black person who is probably if you're black you've probably experienced some type of racial something on the job and you if you're black you probably didn't get 137 million right <laughs> so to, to hear got <laughs> that i feel like it's natural to be like is well reparations might be on the table now right that's nuts that's nuts man so what what do we know happened to this man to warrant 137 million dollars in in
1: payments for racism on the job? Look, they were calling him all sorts of niggas and whatnot. And so <laughs> <laughs> they were calling him all sorts of niggas and what but like there's a serious there's a serious undertone to this, which is that there there is an element of, of racism that happens in workspaces and that is highly uncomfortable you know what i mean like that really is highly uncomfortable especially if you first of all just being a black man in corporate by virtue probably means despite where you are outside of say uh, outside of say outside of south africa or outside of, or in these other in these other india and places like that where uh, white folks aren't necessarily the the majority but even in south africa over here if you're going in the corporate world you are going to be dealing with white folks the statistic in south africa is that the white uh, white people count up eight plus 38 to 13 percent of the population but make up 80 percent of the executive roles in corporate right yeah, so it that-
0: creates an alienating environment for black folks no doubt
1: Definitely. And I had a cousin right now who recently started a job and he was saying the same thing too, which is that, man, these these white folks is wild. These white folks is wild, but that's something you need to deal with. What I'm imploring him to do is to take all those notes so we can run this $137 million. Bro, I don't know what they call this man, but I need to know the combination of all the words that he said, how he recorded it, so that we can distribute this information out to our fans so they, too, can get $137 All right, all right, all right. So let's put his... So first of all, his
0: name is Owen Diaz, right? And Mr. Diaz actually didn't work directly for Tesla. He was a contract employee of Tesla's. And so... My man uh, joined the job in 2015. He was working there for about nine months. Over the course of that nine months, uh, he experienced a lot of, like, racism. People were writing racist things on bathroom stalls. People would use racial epithets, like, around the office and all sorts of different ways. So he ended up leaving after that nine months. During that nine months, he also had his son come and work. He also had his son come and work for Tesla. There's a little bit more on that later, but... So he leaves after nine months, he sues because of all this racism that he experienced. And he is a later awarded $137 million, right? So I think that that's dope. When I hear that, I think that's good. If the man experienced racism, he should get some money. $137 million is
1: a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. It makes me think about all the other black people that are working in Tesla right now, bro. The te- it, is, it is a hostile environment in Tesla right now. I'm sure all the black yeah. folks there are just no pads out. So on that,
0: so on that, right? So actually before this in 2017, there was a class action lawsuit. And I remember when you first told me about this story, that was my first question: was like, Come on, bro. If I'm another black guy that works at Tesla, I'm super heated if he went and was telling about all this racism and he didn't include that it was happening to everybody else, but there actually has been an ongoing class action lawsuit against Tesla for a hostile environment and racism Mm -hmm. since 2017. Right. So, but this guy decided to take his own route and that seems to have worked very, very well for him. So I hear 137 million and I go, dang, that's a lot of money. And I'm almost like, that's a that's a because as again, as we said, if you black, you've experienced this racism. And I don't it's like all right, put it like this, right? If somebody was like, if somebody was like Miles, we're asking if anybody and if you've ever experienced racism, you might be, you know, one of those commercials came on TV. If you've experienced racism in your work environment, you might be entitled to some money. Call a lawyer at Blackity Black Blackson 3333333. I would call them and they were like, You entitled to some money. How much do you think you want? And I would have been like, I won't. $100 million, but settle <laughs> out of court right now for 500K, right? That's probably what I would probably my reaction, right? I want $100 million or I'll settle out of court right now for 500K. This guy got a, more than I would even ask for, right? And so at first I'm thinking, dang man, that's a lot of money. So I look a little bit more into it and I stumble upon the email that the VP of people at Tesla wrote in response to this. Right? Now what, what do you think saying? she said?
1: Um nigga never. <laughs> we'll no, no,
0: no 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 no. No no. So actually the in the while when he was putting in complaints in real time, Tesla actually did fire a couple of people based on his complaints. Which to me says they definitely did it. And there was evidence that there was that of that racism if those people got fired,
1: right? I'll, so i'll tell it to you like this right is that our, one of our mutual friends uh had and this is back in 2015 2014 2015 uh, right when tesla was hitting its stride going you know astronomical with its share value uh there was a lot of talk around the the work environment in tesla that was common talk around Around how how difficult of a work environment it is, which is quite typical when you work with a single a single-figure leaderhead, right? And part of what you ended up seeing with Tesla is Musk stepping away from the helm um, and then incorporating a bunch of other a bunch of other executives to be able to run it. There was a in that same period between 2015 and 2018, there was a lot of executive turnover in Tesla. The CFO, who used to be an Indian lady, uh, well-renowned from Google, left in a left in a, in a in a blaze of glory, if you will, and for an undisclosed amount. And that kept on happening again and again. That high executive turnover, which speaks possibly to this uh, to this culture that's there. So that was something that was known. I do not know what the head of people had said, but whatever they said, it did not help. What this amount probably <laughs> it probably helped this amount get to where it is. No, no. So
0: she's responding to the amount after the fact so what do you think she said after the 137 million is awarded to mr diaz what do you think her response to that was and the internal email
1: look this is is a lot of bullshit but die we're gonna pay this y'all better not ever none of y'all better ask for this much because you ain't gonna get it (laughs) big facts
0: big facts her like, and part of that and just reading that email was part of what made me go like, dang, man, like, I don't even feel I don't even feel bad that like they had to shut out this much money because her email was basically a list of bullet points as to why she doesn't believe that this was uh an, the, an amount of money that he should have received. Right. She goes, Mr. Diaz never worked for Tesla. He was a contract employee who worked for city staff. Uh. Mr. Diaz said he witnessed people saying the N-word, but uh, other people that testified on his behalf also stated that they heard black people using the N-word around the office as well, right? Uh, They said that we responded to his complaints and that people were fired. Uh, They said that even though he complained about racial harassment uh, and the time he was being harassed, he recommended that his son and daughter and and his son, who later actually did work for Tesla, work at Tesla. Right. And these are her list to basically say, I don't feel that these facts justify the verdict reached by the jury. Uh, We do recognize that in 2015 and 2016, we were not perfect. We're still not
1: perfect, but we've come a long way. Now, how does that how does that strike you, bro? listen there's not enough eggshells that white people need to walk around in in corporate so this 137m pushes the number of eggshells that people need to step around in. there's something that happens when you get into corporate around a lot of people and you so happen to be a minority in that field that people feel very comfortable using the 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 token minority person as a venting tool for either they want explanations hey tell me about Black people, why do y'all do this? Uh, can I touch your hair? That type of thing, right? Is that amount? And then on the other side, it's like, okay, you're good. you're good, you're good, you're good, black, but then other niggas like that, you know? There's a whole lot of that in corporate, and it puts you in an awkward position as a person of color, where you where you where you as you know, you, you almost have to you, you almost have to assimilate and blend in a bit, and you're not necessarily tolerated, right? But how How often do you run to h r for minor minor racial epithets that are said within office? You get exhausted with that relay race. And so what I see with this one hundred and thirty seven million is every lap and every h r <laughs> meeting that black people have had that went <laughs> ignored. These are reparations. I just asked the brother to spread it around. Come on, man.
0: Yeah, nah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that because, yeah, they're they're, It's in quantifiable, if that's a word. Right. Like how much that weighs on you every day going into that workplace. And so for Valerie Capers, who's the VP of people uh, to say things like, well, we addressed his concerns and we, we we fired the people that did it. And he recommended that his son work here. Like it just speaks to being out of touch with the experience that like, yo, people have to work, man. Like people, people have to make money to earn a living, bro. A lot of people are working. Matter of fact, let me actually, let me quote what Owen Diaz said. He said, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. They have to either choose to take the abuse that these billion dollar companies are coming out with or choose to feed their family. Right. And it's like, that's so real, bro. And her statement is that's what's lacking in there is this understanding that, yeah, he might have recommended his son to work there, even though he had to deal with some racism before because they need money. And Tesla's a huge company that can probably afford to pay a lot than a lot more of other people. And there are people all over the country, black and white, right, that go to work every day, not because they want to, not because it's not a hostile environment, but because they need the Mm -hmm. money. And it's another case of just like, yo, somebody who's in this kind of higher position whose decisions affect a lot of everyday people, blue collar people. And they're just being out of touch. The lady is black, man. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that they had the black VP come out and make this statement on accident, but it's, it sucks, man. Speaking of awkward positions in corporate, she's in an awkward position. And I feel for this lady who had to write this email to to disparage this Black man getting his money.
1: Now, when you when you speak about um, the gentleman who experienced racism and then recommending somebody to go, to, recommending his son to go work in that area, you're very right on the point that, <clears throat> excuse me, you're very right on the point that um, people need to eat and people need to work. A recent, um, something that I recently stumbled upon, right, was a study where they were busy measuring how women engage with, uh, sexual harassment in an office, right? Now, before the study, they would ask the women what their responses would be. And then in a blind study where the woman did not know what they were going with, uh, that they were going into a, a, simulated, uh, a simulated a simulated um, interview, right? So part of the, the, the studies that they asked women that were not in that environment, what would you do if somebody asked you about your breast, your, your cup size? What would you do if somebody did if somebody asked about your cup size what would you if somebody asked you about your something sexual sexual in your windows they almost 100% of the women before the study were saying that they would quit they would leave in a rage they would hit the table and swear at him that was the response but then when they actually did the study to find out less than 10% of the women actually spoke up against that when they were asked things such as what is your Cup size, what is your relationship status? Um, commenting on their appearances and asking high, inappropriate types of questions. All to say that someone's reaction when they're within a situation varies differently than us as laymen who are standing outside of it, looking at it, be like, if somebody if Tesla, if Tesla called me a nigga, if Tesla called me a nigga, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that's that's not how you're actually gonna react. And if you're a black person in corporate, especially in the US if you are going to avoid every place where there's been a racial instance, then you might not ever work in corporate unless you're working for a black company. And even then you're probably going to be exposed to that. Right? So one of the conversations that, uh, one of the things, one of the conversations that we, my parents have a, had with me before going into corporate and that your grandparents had with us is that, Hey man, this is, you're going to experience it. You're going to experience it. And keeping a cool head is The coolest heads prevail in this situation. Take your notes, record what you need to record. You're going to get it, but you'll prevail.
0: Word. And I'm glad you took it there right to the familial teachings aspect of it, because I certainly like I can remember both experiencing and hearing and reading about so many instances of that kind of conformist culture being pushed on young black people. Right. When you go into corporate, you need to talk a certain way. You need to walk a certain way. You need to have your hair a certain way. Right. You need to dress a little bit even better than your peers and colleagues at your level because you're going to be viewed a certain way. And there's always a lot of pushback against that. That yeah, young black people, young black professionals shouldn't have to shouldn't have to change who they are or or not, you know, or or cut their hair or keep their hair at a certain length because uh, white people in corporate might not accept that. And there's this back and forth because there's like this push that for like an etiquette school isn't the right word, but like these things to correct the way that black youth act, there's kind of like this overcorrection, I think, from o- older generations. And, that, and it's important to understand it in that context of like black folks who are grown and working and have worked and have had all these experience have been traumatized by working in corporate, by a million microaggressions over years and are looking at people who are trying to enter the workforce and saying, to give them an easier time, yo, you gotta d- just cut your hair, man, you know? Or you just just make sure you wear a tie even if nobody else is wearing a tie, right? Make sure you, yeah. you, you finish yeah. all your words. You say your E's and your R's. Make sure you finish every word like
1: this. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Yo, yeah. listen, and this here comes the here comes the transparency. Here comes us being transparent on our platform, right now. I am a tattoo having chain wearing nigga For you know what I mean, I come with the full the full package of uh, a full package yeah. of accoutrements. where Word. <laughs> Word, you do? Yeah, the 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 stylish glasses, pink shirt. I, I'm, I'm with you. Yep. Sorry. No, but listen, I recently I had a conversation with my mother, right? And the conversation with my mother is that she's very unhappy about these, t- about my tattoos. And the, the conversation was about what, you know, how are people going to perceive you? She's very disturbed about it, limiting my opportunities and whatnot. And to uh, to one extent, we would be irresponsible if we advocated for people of color to enter corporate spaces with their full-blown negative blast, I would not recommend that. Definitely understand your environment. <laughs> Definitely understand your environment and adjust to that environment. But that being said, the only way in order to be able to change that type of culture is to create that culture for yourself. So we know that in our workspace and in the companies that we have, we don't mandate, uh, we don't mandate dress code. We don't mandate um, we don't mandate uh, no tattoos or whatever the case is. We don't do that. But if there is a situation where we are doing something financial and we need to put a suit on, we are going on TV, we doing whatever. We'll dress up for that occasion and we'll present ourselves in a manner that's fitting into the crowd and the audience of what we're going to be what we're going to be talking about. But again, the more the, go to the Rock Nation offices, bro, or go to Facebook. They wear flip flops over there.
0: Word, word, wow, yeah, you said a lot because there's a lot of conversations there, especially about how white people get to wear flip flops, right? And you know, khaki pants, and they get to do that in a di- in a different way, or not khaki pants, uh, capri pants, but yeah, man, I think it's important to acknowledge, like, I think uh. did you say bro know your audience that's great advice in every context right know your audience make sure that you're delivering whatever message you're trying to deliver in a way that is that the person on the other end can receive it right and so yeah it is important to be on your p's and q's when you enter a corporate space no matter who you are especially if you're black that's just reality But when we have that conversation, when we tell young people that we need to make sure what we're emphasizing is that the problem isn't with them. The problem isn't with the young people. The problem isn't with their culture. The problem isn't with their dreads. The problem isn't with even them sagging their pants. The problem is that we've created a society that cares more about where you wear your pants than where your head is at. Right. Would rather have you look busy in a shirt and tie than do work in some jeans. Right. And that's that's what we need to make sure that they know that's the truth but here's the reality we live in. And so the home space can acknowledge a very different set of values than that other space, right? And it can be be a space of healing from having to go out and deal with that other space. That's what I would encourage.
1: Hey, man, and almost as perfect of a transition as we can, speaking about Facebook and how people work at Facebook over this last week and getting into our current news story, if you want to hit any drops on that, is... uh, Facebook had a (laughs) boo-boo. Big mishap. Big, big, big mishap in Facebook, man. Uh, Over the weekend, Facebook lost its uh its power. Facebook crashed for seven hours and Zuckerberg lost seven billion dollars. Now this came directly at the same time that the whistleblower in Facebook shared some rather damning evidence regarding Facebook's algorithms and how predatory they are in uh perpetuating violence and not violence but in perpetuating outrage for the sake of engagement dang, you bodied this graphic. This is very, yeah, I'm scared of Facebook now looking at this. It's real. <laughs> it's real. Yo, not to, you want? not to, uh, Just to go over it, Facebook has, I mean, with with Facebook crashing, you have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have WhatsApp, which encapsulates over half of the people on the Internet are utilizing these services. Now, if you're not in the U.S., WhatsApp doesn't mean anything to you. But if you are out of the U.S., then you understand that WhatsApp is literally how people communicate. That is the number one way that that people communicate on their
0: phones. People do that. People have WhatsApp in the U.S. I, for one. Mm Couldn't talk to my girl. I was devastated. I was distraught. I was. I was. Yeah. Uh, I was a mess. I couldn't. I could. I, I, and I'm sure a lot of people were like similarly. Like, yo, people conduct mad business over Facebook. People conduct mad business over WhatsApp. You dig me? Like, yeah. it's it's a real. It's a serious thing. Like, there are places where people's Facebook pages, like, are their whole front for their business. Right? People. That's how people interact. That's how people know where it's at. And if Facebook is down. It's crazy. I also heard that Facebook, it wasn't just like the servers and the website. It was also that Facebook's internal uh, communications were down. So they couldn't talk about what was going on. And also that they couldn't access certain buildings because of the, the network was like, couldn't uh, verify anybody's identity. So they was having, they had, you want to talk about Mondays, boy.
1: <laughs> That's yeah. A one, dog. No, that is top 10 worst Mondays that Zuckerberg has for sure. And the, the conspiracy, the conspiracy connection behind it is that a whistleblower in Facebook on that Monday, a few hours before that came out letting people know about the predatory algorithmic um, the predatory algorithmic methods that Facebook uses to get people to engage. Now, was essentially saying that the Facebook algorithm realized that people were no longer engaging in Facebook and Instagram as much as they used to. People are no longer sharing as much. There's people on these platforms, but they're not engaging as much up until they realized that by using things that are inflammatory um pushing pushing content that enrages people is a way to be able to get people to engage more and so in realizing that they pumped that type of uh, they pumped that type of um content out and now you know it, it 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 gets people enraged and that's that's whatever the case is and then short few hours after that facebook crashes now to demystify the conspiracy behind it. Facebook to not pull the plug on it to be like, fine. y'all think that we're we're doing this, pull the plug on it Nah, that's not, that is not what happened. The fact is so
0: that would be a very yeah, I'm taking my ball and going home attitude. <laughs> that would be really yeah. funny word. If I was like to do. I would almost, word, I would almost you, word? y'all hate yeah. this. I almost prefer <laughs> that version of events. I want to believe that now actually. I hadn't heard that, but that's funny. But yeah, so it's it's crazy because so i read a little bit about like why that like that push for toward negative content. And so basically Facebook at, in 2018, when they, their engagement started declining, was like, you know what we're going to do? We want to make Facebook a place where people can connect more. And so basically by connect, they meant comment and repost, right? Reshare everything on Facebook. So they they told the algorithm or they created an algorithm that was specifically supposed to search for content that people rather than scrolling past or just liking were more likely to comment upon or repost or share to somebody else and that ha- that turned out to be content that was inflammatory right because if you see a puppy or whatever you like the puppy right you see you know somebody helping somebody or uh, a charitable act or something like that you like that but if you see somebody saying something maybe that you know to be false you comment upon that hey that's not true Or if you see something where somebody that uh, where a group is being threatened, oh, let me share that or with somebody who I know might be in danger because of that. Right. So these inflammatory posts and posts with misleading information became the posts that rose to the top of that algorithm. Right. And they had the opportunity to say, oh, let's correct. Let's go back right to where we were at before, because now we're promoting all of these negative posts. And they were like, well. We kind of need the engagement, and this is engagement. So they kept on rocking with it. And yeah it, it, in, in spite of knowing a, a few different things that were wrong with it. And that's what the the whistleblower Francis Huggin uh she she told on them. She tattletailed, you know. You know, she she spilt the beans. All right. All the blue <laughs> beans all over the conference room table. You know, your 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 new workplace environment layout was all full of beans. Your open floor plan had beans spilt and tea everywhere all your pages documents keyboards tea she spilt it all man Yeah, yeah
1: but it's not it's not surprising this information right and i don't think anybody particularly found it to be surprising especially if you followed for instance what cambridge analytica was doing during the 2016 elections right where they found that the politicians engaged this company, Cambridge Analytica, which was utilizing um, let's say they were utilizing, they were creating content which was used in order to promote, uh, in order to de- de- defamate and essentially shit on other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to use yep. <laughs> that, that's the word, dude. That's the only word. <laughs> Give it to them real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and no but essentially so cambridge analytica found that they can create content that does not actually that's not necessarily true like uh hillary clinton is is keeping children under a pizza spot in brooklyn and it's like what that's crazy and you know <laughs> and, they, and they kept on pumping that type of information out and realizing that facebook's Facebook was able to pick up that this was happening, but did not stop it because of its high engagement rate. And so the question then becomes like, what what, uh, what responsibility do we have to put on these platforms in order to regulate that type of information? Or is that left up to us as users in order to decide whether we wanna engage with it or not engage with it?
0: Yeah. And there's so many different directions that like we can take that conversation, right? Like. We also we certainly have to examine ourselves and why our tendency is to be actionable when something is negative and not necessarily when it's positive. Uh, But there's also a certain level of responsibility. Right. So as a part of these internal papers that were leaked by Facebook, another thing that came out was that uh, a, a group of European politicians on both sides of the aisle wrote like a memo saying that they had essentially changed. They so that that Facebook's algorithm promoting more negative content had made them skew their own content negative when they were running for office and actually resulted in more extreme stances on policy, right? So that's that's politicians admitting that social media just not not even what people are saying, but what gets clicks and what gets posted determines how they determine what can determine how extreme they are on an issue. Right. And that right there is like that. That to me is like, wow. To to even admit that is crazy to me as a politician, like as a politician, you're I would, I would, I would maybe say like, this is, this is our, our posts that we, we continue to post things that we know to be true and things that we know to be on brand with our, with our, with what we believe. And yet it doesn't get posted, but that's not what they're saying. They're saying, nah. hey, man, <laughs> we we got to admit we're posting some bullshit <laughs> because of this algorithm, yo. And that's crazy, man. <laughs> it speaks it to like crazy. a helplessness that we all feel, right? Politicians and the individual user, we're like helpless
1: not to engage negatively in these things. Now, with the engagement of negative things, right, there is a, a a term they call spectator value. Now, when you're driving on a highway and there's an accident and the 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 traffic and the backup that happens of people slowing their cars down to look at the accident is what they call spectator value right Mm. so it's quantifiable you can quantify okay what what is the spectator value based on um what's the spectator value based on uh, um on this traffic whatever the case is now the theory behind it is that instinctively as mammals, right? Our instinctive brain is geared in order to look out for trouble. We look out for death. That's why also when people are fighting, your 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 flight or flight senses is going to kick in and your attention is going to be diverted towards it because that can have a direct impact on your livelihood. Right. Same thing then now how does our brain translate into um into the modern age, right? How does that archaic reaction to our brain transfer into the into the modern age you you post something on, on online and you're reading comments and a negative comments that and then somebody puts a negative comment that's going to stand out quicker to you than a positive comment is for instance you know what I mean and so that is a lot of these things can really be deduced down into what our what our our old brain reacts to now that's the same thing with this Facebook thing why, why is it bad that Nick keeps getting and pumped out and why is it that way that we react to it that is based on uh, that's just based on how our brain's predisposition is if you will yeah no
0: i appreciate you you bring in the science into it that's real right and yeah we just have to we have to know that and, and choose different and oftentimes corporations of all sorts right whether it's fast food companies or social media capitalize on our lack of self-control in the, in that regard and so just just be conscious man be conscious of your screen time like man i, can, I don't want to leave this conversation like i think we i think you did a really good job of talking covering like the most important parts of of what we need to take away from it here but i also want to note that like yo they found that instagram is specifically instagram specifically is horrible for teenage girls b that the cycle mm-hmm. of preference that if someone's experiencing anorexia anorexia they literally said that instagram our app more so than tiktok or more so than snapchat exacerbates a downward spiral of uh anorexia and bulimia with teenage girls right because they you start to find a preference in your pictures and that is what it continues to show you right and they know they knew this and didn't change the algorithms. So that's like bro if we if we talking about creating safe spaces for women like that code that goes to online too like that's that's trash b and like knowing that type of information yeah. how can i how can i like if i have a kid how can i let them use them use instagram without having a conversation about keeping that in mind bro and maybe being even purposeful about following accounts that show you something other than that i didn't want to leave a yeah. conversation without saying that
1: your body of this joint? Brian. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you pointed that out. Right. And a big part of what now um, science is moving towards is being able to classify Facebook and uh, is being able to classify social media as addictive, you know, having um, putting it into the addictive dictionary, um, understanding that there is a dopamine there is a dopamine connection into our usage of social media. So the act of us, the act of scrolling, why is it that the us scrolling up on Facebook is the same? We get the same results as us pulling down on a slot machine in Vegas. Right. The action of looking at things is actually the same action. Those aren't things that happen. By chance, right? Why is it that they have staggered like algorithms that are based on your downtime or your uptime onto the system? This tailored information that's getting pointed towards us. It's all in order to be able to gauge us, uh, engage in us, and it, it it really does play on the psyche, on, onto our psyche and our dopamine psyche. We've covered that. If you want to do, if you do want to check it out, check out the 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 social the social network documentary on Netflix. It's called. Uh, damn, it slips in my mind right now, but it's. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. And it breaks this all down, down to a science. And really the people that created these algorithms and the sound, even the, from the sound to the color, from the sound of a light to the color of a light is all tailored in order to be able to engage our dopamine. And that is pretty interesting.
0: It is. It is, man. And it's, it's crazy. And it affects all, all of our day-to-day lives, bro. So to wrap it up, I would say the the what the answer, like what we say to do is just make companies if you know, if you have all of this internal research that said that this is bad for stuff, you gotta change the algorithm and you gotta hold companies accountable who have demonstrated that they've researched the subject, realized that it harms people, and decided not to do anything about it. That's 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 and that's what and that's what Facebook said as well. Actually, is that if you want us to change how we operate online, legislate it. So we need to meet that. Yeah, yeah legislate
1: it, bro. <laughs> Big facts. Make it happen Make it happen Listen brother We're about to move into our favorite part of the show We're about to move into our absolute favorite part of this show Let us get right into it Ladies I love that I love it so much Hey man hey man For everybody watching live For everybody watching live, we continue to try and improve this content for you guys. You know what I'm saying? We continue to try and engage you guys in different ways. If you have suggestions of anything that we can put in, please, please, please let us know what it is that we can do for that. We are active on Reddit. Uh, We are active on all bunch of different social media platforms. We do want to hear from you guys on what we can do to make things better. Just get into it.
0: We're reviewing Elon Musk. Elon Musk is okay guy. I mean, kind of weird. Apparently has a racist company, but has like eliminated the, the equivalent of like 5 million cars from emissions. So, okay. Oh, no, we're not rating Elon Musk. We're rating. What's this? That's Dave Chappelle. Oh, man. I don't know how I feel about rating Dave Chappelle, bro.
1: Um, we have to talk about it, Mr. Miles Xavier. Me and you have been Dave Chappelle fans for a very, very, very long time. Um, this is his final installment into his Netflix deal. Do Is this going to be the last special we get from Dave Chappelle? I highly, highly doubt it. I think Netflix is going to throw the book at him in order to be able to get him to come back more. But more so than other specials that we've seen, there seems to be a lot of controversy that has come out around this type of stuff. Now, as a, we haven't spoken about the, sh- we haven't spoken about what we think of it. Um, what, what you think of, of, of this special from a fan's perspective?
0: From a fan's perspective, I'll start with, I prefer, um, sitting cigarette smoking Chappelle, right? That's, that's So that should color the rest of my commentary on this. This is not that. This is very much stand up in the truest sense. This is him going for jokes and going for laughs where not all of his specials, even for Netflix, have been that way. Some of them have been much more measured, delivered in a much more, for lack of a better word, I'll say mature tone. Uh, and they're more commentary and musings than they are like a punchline after punchline act and i prefer that that Chappelle.
1: um i I, i'd actually disagree with you a little bit on that because this to me felt less less traditional in the comedic sense than it was so a i i'm going to ask questions and i'm going to close this and i'm going to it's a it's a it's a very linear aggressive type of comedy. I prefer more so a Dave Chappelle that is not tethered by having to answer uh, towards people, and more so is in in subdued in the content of comedy, like the cigarette smoking, which is very slow paced and unorthodox and very genius in its delivery. Now that being said, we are both huge Dave Chappelle fans, and I enjoyed this immensely. Um, I think the a lot of the talk it's... if. If you had to if you had to try and deliver the content that Dave Chappelle has to deliver at the statue that we put him in, it's almost a state of the nation, right? Dave Chappelle is almost state of the nation for us. When we listen to Dave Chappelle, we can go back and be able to say, this is what was happening at this moment in culture, and we can refer to it. And he addresses it in that way. And I think when an artist gets to that level of of when an artist gets to that level of of reverence and he gets to that level of responsibility. A lot of the times one has to step down a little bit, is the the pure enjoyment of the craft, and it has to be dedicated in addressing some of these larger issues because we look to him to be able to do that. And I think he did that in this case. And so I can respect it for that. was it my favorite Chappelle special, not particularly, as you said, the the sitting down cigarette Dave Chappelle special, that's my absolute favorite. But I, I could enjoy this for what it
0: was. I actually disagree. You think he did like that I disagree that he gave a state of the nation in any in a way like he that he did that well. What do you feel like he what do you feel like were the state of the nation points that he covered that made you feel like he encapsulated this moment in time?
1: Now if everybody's watching um I will it's the spoiler alert, spoiler alert. And in, and for the for the love of comedy yeah. what we're not going to try and do is recreate jokes and trying to explain jokes yeah. because it does take away the context out of it. But the Space Jews joke slapped. <laughs> that Space Jews joke really did slaps. And I think connecting what is happening with black culture and that and those events together because that the 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 Palestine thing is something that's happening right now and was at the forefront of our of our news. Um, the the cancel culture and the manner in which it has evolved um, is the, the way that it has evolved and who it chooses to attack and how it t- chooses to attack those people is something that was addressed. I think this one was more so of him responding to all of the other things that he had said, which is something slightly different than what he has done in the past to this great to this extent, but still, what he's responding to is the state of the nation post uh, the state of the nation comments that he's made in the past,
0: yeah. No. So, first of all, I appreciate that spoiler alert because, yeah, while we won't try and recreate any of the jokes, I want to, yeah, I want to kind of get into some of the the topics. Because, like you said, I feel like he, this was much more of him responding to criticism than I think it was giving him kind of a, than it was giving us, like, taking a step back and just kind of talking about all the things that are happening in the world right now. Right. And, for a lot of reasons, I felt like this was supremely personal. Uh, it felt almost like bitter to me in a way that mm. Dave is like they've they've usually show signs of that, but it's not typically as pronounced right. Like even the, the way that he mentioned turning down 50 mil in this one, the way that he mm. called himself the goat at the end of it. Right. Like there was it seemed like there were more moments in this one to like kind of inflate him himself than than he ever seemed like he needed in the past right it was all there with his presence it almost seemed like he was reminding people of his status before saying things he said and this hurts because I am a huge fan of Dave Chappelle I've loved all like almost all of his specials leading up to this point but this one felt a little bit extra and it felt Kanye-ish a little bit
1: now miles what we do need to account for is reaching a status that is very 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 unique right not many people in the world or or in history will ever get to hit the heights of success and the heights of of excellence in craft as this man does, right, in, in what he does. There's only a few people that can relate into that field. And it's interesting you say Kanye because Kanye is one of those people as well in his own field that has able to hit those heights of success and also uh, deal with the type of criticism that he – deal with the type of criticism that, that these men have to deal with based on the levels of their success. Now, what that means, given their platforms and how they use their platforms, it's difficult to say, you know, this feels like he was being this – because in truth is, we don't know what it feels like to be at the very top in of all time in your craft and, and continuously being criticized about everything that you say and then also being looked at as somebody that we look to for um, consolation when times are tough, right? It takes me back to the 844 uh, the eight forty four piece that he did given the George Floyd's time when uh, the George Floyd Floyd and the marches were happening and COVID was happening, when he did come and he spoke, that was such a sign. We all, we were, we found comfort in that, right? We were all able to bond around those words and being able, and it wasn't very funny per se. It was also, it was, it was, it was almost kind of matter of fact and in, in how painful it was, but we all felt that pain when he was able to bring it on. So on on that sense, man, I think we do give a lot of. It's it, I cannot imagine how difficult it is for him to be able to do this, and I cannot imagine being a place where I have to dedicate my craft to just answering to what people are saying. But if this this is how he does it, I'm not mad at it, and I'll take it, man. I I did enjoy this. I'm going to go back to it. Dave Chappelle's specials grow on me over time, as they usually should, as they usually do. It was dope. Yeah, I, I yeah,
0: it, he is undeniably funny he's undeniably a master at his craft but i didn't i didn't enjoy this one um and i just felt like he made he made a lot of good points and i'm and i and to anybody who says it's great comedy like i won't even argue with them but like because that's subjective that's for them to say and if you enjoyed it hell yeah but to me it was the first time i i've seen him Take on that role to be the guy of saying like I'm gonna try and define this moment, and I saw cracks in it. I felt the same way you 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 described feeling when he spoke after George Floyd. I felt that way on many SNL skits. I felt that way on the Bird Revelation. You know what I mean? But and I even felt that way when he was talking about a lot of the things that he's talking about here in the the after the Stone special. There's another like. Part portion where he's addressing the audience and he talks about a lot of the same people and topics that he talks about in this special. And it hits a lot harder for me there than it does here. This felt extra. This felt like he wanted to be done doing the, the Netflix thing really did mean what he said at the end of the show, that he's not talking about the LGBTQI community after this and wanted to get all the jokes he had in on that. And it just felt forced in a different way. It felt a, it felt like, in a similar way, and I say Kanye-ish, because it felt like this guy who is now, you can't tell him nothing. He walked away from 50 mil, came back, became the number one comic, made that same amount and more doing Netflix specials. Netflix put Chappelle's show on Netflix, and he was like, yo, I'm not getting paid for this. And they changed that just based on his clout. So now you can't tell this man nothing. Similarly to the way you couldn't tell 2013, 2015, Kanye nothing. And I don't even mean to do that with the song, but like you, you, you can't tell you can't tell the man nothing. And this guy who is has been so measured and reserved and respectable with the way that he's carried himself. And I mean I don't mean respectable in terms of being conservative. I mean respectable is like this is a man you could respect, is now throwing his weight around in a way that both shows that both like he feels like he's big, but I don't know if he knows how big he is because as he throws his weight around, he's not noticing. I don't feel like the communities that are getting knocked over in the way, in the way in relating to them in the way that he previously did and how that carried through in his work. And so I'm not mad at him for this, but I didn't personally enjoy this one like that. What would you give it out of five mics? I give it a, I give it a three.
1: Give it a That's three. my objective. Give it a
0: three. I'd give it a three. That's my objective. I would like, personally, I would want to give it lower for me. It's probably like a, it's a two, but objectively, uh-huh. like I did laugh out loud and not a lot of comedy specials in general can make me laugh out loud more than once. And this did, but I also felt through watching other comedy specials of Dave Chappelle's. I've gotten halfway through it and been like, I can't wait to watch this again. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. I, 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 He's he's speaking things to truth that I feel. And in this one, I was like, I kind of can't I kind of can't wait for this one to end, bro. I don't think I'm going to go back to this one. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it, bro. And I and I will watch it again because I think what he says at the end and the point he tries to drive home recontextualizes a lot of the show. And I understand it from a different lens with what he says at the end. I don't even want to give that spoiler for people just like to go watch it, but like I still, but I did not enjoy it. I did not enjoy this one. So I, it's a it's a two for me. It's a three in terms of like my recommendation point, but Dave Chappelle, the closer, I'm I'm excited for whatever he does next. I'm excited I for, I hope this is like being done with Netflix means he's not doing like as big shows. He does smaller rooms, more chill stuff. Like he talks about liking to do. I'm still on board for that, but I'm glad
1: that this Netflix run is, is done after that. Well, I don't think it's the last that they should call on Netflix. I think we're gonna see something coming out soon. But that being said, I like it a little bit more than you. I do give it a three point five out of five. Um, if we're speaking about um, specials that are funny and things that you know are giving people recommendations, check out that Shane Gillis on Shane Gillis on YouTube. Uh, it's actually. Really, really, really funny. Check out that special. That's really good. If you haven't ran through any Patrice O'Neal, do yourself a favor, go down that elephants in the room hole. Um, that's that's some dope comedy as well. You know, we're fans over here. Can't wait to see what Dave Chappelle is next. And um, I think I think we done served up these guys a, a good plate of content.
0: Yes, yeah, sir. Yo, yeah. If you love comedy, check out the Dick Gregory documentary that joined us, mad dope. Uh any more recommendations
1: for the people man music? Books, what you got? Don Tolliver, jump into that Don Tolliver. Um, I enjoy that a lot, a lot. Um, definitely taking my time with that with that Don Tolliver. That's that's what I've been bumping this week. Nice, nice. All right, man. We like that. It's a beautiful Sunday.
0: You know what I'm saying? I for sure I'm going to eat something delicious. You know, I'm gonna hug somebody I love. And the reason I'm gonna do those things is because we know. We know. We aware that y'all got a lot of choices. Yeah. Y'all can do a lot of things with y'all time, man. And Y'all are tuned in listening to us. We appreciate that. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, man, it's love from the All The Way Live. Guys, if you like what you heard, if you didn't like what you heard, like, comment, subscribe, tell us. You know what I'm saying? Get involved. You know we would appreciate that. Very mucho, man. We appreciate y'all out there. This is a celebration of celebrating. This is a celebration of life. This is a celebration of love. This is a celebration of how good it feels to be black. Don't it feel good this way? I love it. Yep. It's his favorite thing. He ain't say it this time, but it's his favorite thing. You can tell. (laughs) Look at his face. It's his favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. I'm getting black about the day. Yep. (laughs) Indeed. We hope y'all getting black about the day. We hope it feels good to be you. We hope you loving who you are, loving the skin you're in, no matter what skin that is. Every day, more and more. This is the All The Way Live podcast. Peace, water, like that, we gone.